Sometimes life feels out of our control. We get stuck in trauma, old patterns, and change feels out of reach. Sometimes it feels like fate. We want to help you break out of old, unhelpful patterns and become healthier. We're fate resilience, taking control of the outcome. With licensed therapists, Jennifer Oxford, Taylor Madsen, Haley Mayer. Curiosity. Is the third of the four of the skills to build attachment. An excellent rover on Mars and unhelpful for cats. <laughs> Sorry, that's the first time we tried to start. I think and was... my word for 2022 was curious. So oh, that's been it? my word this Is year. Yeah. In a horoscope or where did you get your word? No, no, like that's the word I gave instead of doing a resolutions, I kind of give myself a word and oh. Curiosity is one of the habits of consciousness. Mm. And so this year I've been reading a lot of books and, and focusing on curiosity. That's excellent. I am a curiosity. A few beakers got in October in a lab and here I am. <laughs> um, and that's why we're friends. <laughs> She's like cause... moving on. <laughs> <laughs> but I really love curiosity because it's also one of the habits of trust. So when we talk about relationships and attachment, one of the ways we build trust versus fear is that we use being curious and asking ourselves questions about the situation versus telling people how they should be um, an obligation, entitlement or resentment. And so curiosity is a super powerful skill in relationships that move us out of some of those fear states. Yeah, curiosity uh, moves us from being alone and trying to make sense of an event, whether it's stressful or shameful. Uh, and it's no longer just part of our biography, it's part of, and uh, not just in our autobiography, it's part of uh, a joint hour biography. That's from Dan Hughes, one of the pioneers of attachment theory. I mean, it's the third of the PACE acronym. And what I really think too about it is that like, it's, it, curiosity is often a good, like empathy for dummies starting point, right? Like it's, it's just. That is the best way to describe it. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I think. Say more Haley about why so, it's em empathy for, and we're not judging you, but there no, are books. I mean, who didn't read a something for dummies book in like the early 2000s <laughs> like i think they were everywhere you never read you them didn't? jen i saw them but i never read them i oh, figured sure. they weren't for okay. me <laughs> i think i read philosophy for dummies are actually i remember for dummies. you guys were way off topic <laughs> anyways we're being curious jen. our social our so social work class had us write something for dummies like i think we had to choose a time period in history and write a book about it but anyway so i got well familiar with the the format but when it comes to like curiosity being like the first step in empathy what i'm meaning is sometimes we say have empathy for someone and then we tell them but don't have sympathy and we tell them like it doesn't mean that you're trying to just be sympathetic towards them and trying to feel those feelings um you know because they're feeling them like we end up telling them like all these knots of empathy and unless you honestly see like the Brene Brown animated short about empathy it it really does sound really confusing of what we mean but if you start with curiosity of just saying well, how are you feeling what is going on what does it feel like if we start with that we then have a good uh jumping off point to then go into the idea of so you're feeling 
this feeling. Okay. Tell me more about it. Like kind of help me understand it. And then we kind of, by asking those questions can then really start experiencing those emotions ourselves. And so I think, especially as therapists, I know Jen, you say it too, Taylor, you say it, like we will often say like, let's get curious about that. Let's, let's get curious about that. Or like, you know, I want you to practice curiosity with your spouse. Like ask them questions because curiosity doesn't mean I already anticipate and know what they're going to say. Right. That's not actual curiosity. That's leading. There's a difference between a curiosity question and a leading question. So if which is why it's important that we don't say. So what you're really saying is, and then just repeat it because that gives people the opportunity to say it Mm -hmm. sarcastically. I know. Right. And so like for like, if you're thinking about like a courtroom, so I did again, let's go back to to school of, of past. I was in mock trial a lot. Um, And so it was, you learned about what leading questions were. I can't lead the client to the answer. Right. Sometimes in therapy, that's a great technique, but most of the time, if we're trying to teach them how to identify emotions, we're not wanting to lead them to the answer. We want to have them be curious and investigate. So we say things like, you know, instead of saying like, like Taylor just said, Hey, um, so I'm hearing you like, so, so you're saying this, right? That's a leading question. A curiosity question is, you know what, when you said that I heard this, what do you mean by it? Right. Yeah, curious questions are who, what, when, where, or how, but never why. Mm-hmm. Why makes people naturally defensive? Yeah. So you could say, no, oh, go ahead, Jen. I think you can ask why about yourself. And I think we talk a lot about curiosity and asking other people. But one of the core relationship skills that I would really encourage is that we get really curious about ourselves. Why am I showing up in relationships this way? Why do I think this Why do I think there's only one way to do the dishes? Why do I think there's only one way to tell someone I love them? And as you get curious about yourself, you can ask those why questions and they help you uncover patterns and habits and those kinds of things. So it's okay to ask why there, but asking why for someone else is going to be um, an empathy miss because because again, they're going to move into that defensive. I need to explain myself mm-hmm. place versus encouraging more information. Yeah. Why is like tickling? You know, you can tickle other people, but you can't tickle yourself. You can, True. <laughs> you can ask why of yourself and not other people. Yeah. Taylor, that just shows you have lots of little kids at home because most of us <laughs> don't talk about tickling. Like that. I know. He's like, let me bring up tickling. Was that like a Let's get... like Rachel? <laughs> He's like, I'm going to bring up tickling and I don't even care what we're talking about. <laughs> Rachel's brutal. <laughs> you guys, I think um, one of the, my favorite things that I've learned about curiosity is that it is part of a growth mindset. When we believe things have to be a certain way in order to feel love or receive approval Or in our childhood, if I didn't show up a certain way, I was rejected. Those are attachment wounds, right? When there was only one way to be successful is in our family. Because we're talking about understanding how attachment forms through curiosity. And so if there was no room for curiosity, or if you showed up differently than what other people expected, and there was rejection based on that, then... Those are, those are wounds and attachment. And they're also creativity wounds where we weren't willing to explore and say, maybe my thought 
if it's unique, could also be right. And so this leads to some of our understanding and why people have such a hard time attaching and feeling safety in those attachment relationships. Well, let's also clarify too, though, that when you're talking about attachment wounds, we all have them, right? Mm -hmm. So when Jen is saying like attachment wounds, we're not saying like, and you're an abused child, right? Like we're saying like, it can lead to that in extreme circumstances, but back to the idea of attachment being something that we are constantly breaking and repairing, right? That's what attachment is. It isn't just that I have healthy attachment, therefore I've never had a broken attachment. It's the idea of, no, the reason I have a healthy attachment is because people are aware of the process, but also because they're going to break it. It's just part of it, but then they know how to healthily repair it. So when Jen's saying attachment wounds, you know, we all have an example. We all have a you know, probably time in our childhood where dad wasn't able to play ball with us because he was busy or mom had, you know, something she was doing and she couldn't help us with something. We're not saying like looking back that that means like you have an attachment wound and it's never going to go away. Right. A lot of our parents in those scenarios, if we had a healthy attachment, they would come back to us and say, Hey, I'm sorry, but I wasn't able to play. Hey, sorry. I wasn't able to do this. This is what was going on. Let's try to find a different time. Right. So we all, but that still means there was a wound. It doesn't mean that that just gets rid of the wound because they came back and told us that there's still some sort of a wound there. And so, but it's the prolonged denying of anything being an issue. It's the prolonged, um, you know, continued repetitive offenses with it. That's especially like with what Jen's talking about when it comes to attachment issues, we have to ask the reason why am I reacting this way? It's because I have a long history of, you know, those attachment, um, you know, disruptions happening. I think the great part about pointing that out, Haley, is also if if you did have multiple wounds, you can repair them. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember as a child, there were often ways that I felt misunderstood or rejected or those kinds of experiences which again are normal in childhood to Mm -hmm. misinterpret adults and children's language and as i got older i was able to have conversations with my parents and say when you did this this is what i thought and they said no that that wasn't our experience this is what was going on right because i had this little child brain that could only see my world so big and bigger things were happening and so it can happen on both ends that children can misunderstand parents because of a lack of curiosity or awareness or just a lack of brain development and parents can misunderstand children and vice versa in other relationships whether it be siblings friends, you know, people who are closer to the same age that we can have a lot of misunderstandings. And so if there is some kind of experience that you had that was painful, getting curious is the first way to start to examine whether that relationship can be repaired or even should be repaired because it's okay if you don't want to repair it. But there are questions there about what happened. And so I can distinctly remember things that happened in my childhood that were really painful. And as I got older and I went to my parents and had discussions and said, this happened and I really didn't like it. Right. And they were to say, oh, well, this is why we did that that way. And this is what my childhood was like. And I just thought that was normal. And I didn't realize that that wasn't the only way to do things, that they weren't given permission in their childhood to be curious, that curiosity opens up understanding and connection and so the more we understand 
which is something that comes on the other side of curiosity, the more compassion and repair we can do. And that's so important that your parents responded with, yeah, I'm so sorry that we hurt you instead of, no, that didn't happen. Or it's, um, uh, you shouldn't feel hurt because we didn't mean to. That makes a really big difference. It's really important that we identify when people ask those questions, instead of doubling down that I did it right, that we also stay curious about why we could have done it differently and how it affected people. And that it's okay to say, oh yeah, I was just doing the best I could in that moment. But yeah, I totally understand if that was painful for you. And that leads to openness versus no, as an adult, I was always right. That's called entitlement. And it's the opposite of curiosity. Another Dan Hughes quote, um, through curiosity, we're able to make the incoherent coherent, the inconsistent consistent, and the discontinuous continuous. And without curiosity, we're not able to make sense of the world around us. We're not able to make any meaning in our relationships, which is foundational to attachment. And to trauma repair, that idea of trauma, if you get down to it, is when we weren't able to fully process something, right? So when you use the words discontinuous to continuous, we go back into trauma, we get curious about the trauma, and we're able to put the pieces back together in a way where we can continue on. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. I love that, that I hadn't heard that quote, but I love that he brings that up because it's a really important part of healing is to get really curious about what, what we experienced. So how do we find curiosity? How do we go into that mode? Especially if we're in a situation where there is a conflict, there is something going on, how do we step into curiosity? I find that as people, we're naturally curious. And it's more about not stamping out our curiosity or mm -hmm. children's curiosity. And how do we set aside the defensiveness that will come up so that our curiosity can flourish and be okay? One of the things that it's important to realize is, is that defensiveness is, is a habit and an experience inside the drama triangle, where curiosity is an experience in the empowerment dynamic. So part of what we see is that when we have heroes and villains and victims, there's a lot of defensiveness. We all have to play our part. We're all entitled to things. But when we move out of the drama triangle, and I know we need to go into this more, but when we move out of the drama triangle, one of the roles of the coach in the drama triangle is to get curious and ask questions and move that creator into a deeper understanding of what they want to create and and how to overcome some of the challenges that they experience. Well, I would even venture too with the other two areas of the drama triangle, because there's three. You're mentioning one with the coach. Creator mode is rather than being a victim, I'm being curious to me of what would I need in order to be more of a creator mindset. And so even with what you're describing with that, that is also, and the same with challenger, where it's being curious instead of being a persecutor and persecuting someone and saying like, you're doing something wrong. A challenger is being curious of how could we possibly do this better? What do you think you could be doing to change this, right? So curiosity, I think, is a huge component. Again, it's it's the starting ground for so many great traits. It's the starting ground for empathy. It's the starting ground for being able to be a creator, being able to be a coach, being able to be a challenger. And so 
we have to start again, like we're all very, you know, well-known within our groups of people of, we say, start with the basics, start with recognizing emotions first, right? Don't go into these complex things until you started with those basics. And so with what we're talking about with like talking about curiosity, we're saying that with these scenarios rather than trying to find, like you're trying to run down the road and find the resolution. We're saying like, first of all, identify what's going on with the problem and what actually is the issue that's going on before you're running down the road and trying to find the resolution of the issue. And the layer of that is just staying curious with yourself, Mm -hmm. right? So if we've experienced rejection or attachment wounding, then we may feel like we, that there's a problem with us, that we're not getting our needs met and starting to get curious about why do I feel that way? And why is an okay question, but even where do I feel it in my body? When was an earlier time that I felt it? What is that? What does that feel like to sit with that versus run away from it? Those are all experiences where we go curious to our internal experiences and world. Mm -hmm. And this is how we can move not into on the spectrum of attachment into a healthier attachment. But even also like, where would it be if it wasn't in this mode? Right. Mm -hmm. What would it look like if I was the other end? Great question. uh, And then rewording things can help us either move into curiosity or stay in curiosity. A lot of times we want to say, what's wrong with you? And simply changing that to what happened to you will help Mm -hmm. us be a lot more curious, curiosity, a lot more curious about why someone is doing something. Two, a couple of my favorite questions with curiosity is, um, is the way I feel or think about this 100% true? Could the opposite be true or truer, right? So to really go into that place of what is really based in our fact, in our experience, and getting curious about it. And it doesn't have to, doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means, are you willing to step back and question what the other options are? And as soon as you move into question, you're out of that limbic brain. You're out of that fight, fight, freeze, fawn response. And so you can start thinking clearer and you can start responding better and you can start choosing the next step rather than just reacting. Asking what else is true is one of the most fun things, especially if you take it to like the absurd, like, well, I'm getting cut off a lot today because everyone's having a baby, lots of babies on the road today. (laughs) And then you just end up laughing. Or crying. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a good example of, you know, when I'm not stuck in that there's only one way to be right, I move into that openness and I move out of that limbic brain and I feel safer. And when I feel safer, I can show up better. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So curiosity can actually, rather than deter safety because sometimes we think of it as like a you know we are um i I can't even think of the word for it i think with curiosity sometimes we're like but that's not solving the problem by being curious right you're putting it off but actually curiosity in the end leads to ultimately safety because we then know what we're actually being safe about and what actually is leading to the safety yeah, a lot of times problem solving is shut down because people 
don't want to be curious. Like, well, this is the way things have always been done. Mm-hmm. People have died doing the way things have always been done for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I really love that we're doing this episode just before the holidays because the holidays are a time where a lot of people are stuck in routine versus being curious about what works for us. Let's keep doing the things that work for us. If it works for us to get together and to do certain things on the holiday, let's keep doing that. And if it doesn't work for us, are we willing to be curious about what might work better? What might help us feel safer with each other? Mm -hmm. Do we need more time with other people? Do we need more time by ourselves? Do we need more time with new people? Yeah, Uncle Frank does not have to be there to pass the turkey. And you don't even have to eat turkey if you don't like it. Right? And I think it's really important that as we move into curiosity and as we talk about these attachments, that you just start asking questions and realizing that starting to consider things differently moves us into safety one of the last things that I I want to share on this topic is is that I really think it's important that let's talk to the parents really quick because I know a lot of parents think they are quote unquote bad parents. They'll be like, I'm such a bad parent because of how my kid turned out. That is a fear statement. The fear statement that is a good parent, your kid would only turn out one way is really kind of stuck. I would really encourage parents to step back and say, How did I help my child explore different ways of being versus force them into only one way of being? And how is this path possibly even good for them? Yeah, because good parents only ever produce doctors and lawyers that went to Harvard. Mm -hmm. False. False. Oh, sorry. I got that backwards. (laughs) Right? Good parents produce kids who can think for themselves and are willing to explore their own experiences. And exploring your own experiences... While as parents, we want to keep them from any truly dangerous things is part of a healthy childhood, a healthy young adult experience, and even a healthy identification in our later adult years. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Fate Resilience. We would love to hear from you.